Good morning, Willowburn. Good to be here. Uh, as always, good to see the regulars and the occasional visitor, even if he dobbed me in for being the reason he's here, because I said you have to come at some point and listen. So anyway, thank you for coming, Sam. Not to be confused with other Sam, who's a regular. But anyway, um, message this morning, as Adrian said, uh, Revelation chapter 22, he didn't quite steal my thunder because it's not my thunder. It's King Jesus' thunder. So you can't really steal anything from him. He owns everything anyway. So yeah, Revelation 22, the final chapter of Revelation and indeed the final book of the Christian Bible. So in a sense, like Adrian said, these are the penultimate, not the penultimate, the ultimate words. They are the last words of King Jesus that the world has ever heard and recorded. Everything since then, the way God has acted, has not been written down, recorded um, in such a way that it is considered to be inspired. So this is pretty important stuff. It's the end in a sense, but is it really the end? Or as this sermon is titled, is it just the end of the beginning? So if you want to follow along with me, uh, yep, head to the last chapter of Revelation. Should be pretty easy, just open from the back and you'll be pretty close. Um, and for the last time, I want to remind you of our guiding principles, the four rules, if you like, or principles that we have prepared all of our messages about Revelation on. Quite simply, they are, we want to do the words of Revelation. Adrian explained that from Revelation 1.3 before the um, sermon at the start. Uh, number two, we want to rely on the Holy Spirit to know and do the words of Revelation. Number three, we don't want to underinterpret or overinterpret Revelation. So underinterpret to say that's not that important, don't worry about it, or overinterpret to say this thing means this exactly thing and nothing else ever. That's overinterpretation. So we don't want to do either of those. And we finally, number four, we want to seek meanings for our interpretation from other parts of the word. So those are the guiding principles for the last time. And you, know, you all know me, so you know what's coming. First question, not rhetorical, unless I say so. Do you think you're ever going to get bored in eternity? No. no. Why? Anybody else before I get to why? No, you don't think that anymore? So you <laughs> might have at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. You'll have stuff to do, says Luke. That's cool. Boredom's a kind of selfishness, too. Hey, someone's going deep here. Boredom is a kind of selfishness. Love to unpack that further. What else? Okay, you're all tongue-tied. Cool. Why won't you be bored in heaven? Super bodies with a super God. We're with God. Luke said we have stuff to do. What stuff? What you... Praising him. Sitting on a harp, oh, sorry, sitting on a cloud with a harp for the rest of eternity, right? No. Nope. Good. Some people have been listening throughout this series. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, no, we'll have lots of stuff to do and you can sort of, yeah, we'll have jobs. Exactly. We'll have careers. <laughs> God created each of us with unique gifts and abilities which are being honed in this training ground for what we were really meant for. Our eternity with him, creating with him, reflecting glory back to him in everything that we do. The best version of you will have a job to do in eternity and it'll be the best job you can ever imagine because it'll be for Jesus, with Jesus, forever. Anyway, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for not just creating us but giving us a divine purpose to join you in your creative work to be reflecting your glory in what we do. We know we've completely stuffed it up. We, as our representative Adam all those years ago, and we as individuals, the entire human race has fallen short of your purpose for us, but you weren't willing to let us go. In fact, Jesus, you were willing to die for us, to rescue us, and welcome back anybody that would accept that free gift. So thank you so much for who you are, what you've done. 
We look forward with longing to your return, with eagerness anticipating the best job ever that you've made us for, the specific thing that you have for us to do in your new world. So please keep that in our minds and hearts today. Encourage us, Holy Spirit, guide my words. Don't allow me to say anything that would lead your people astray, but let everything I say come directly from you. Amen. Okay, Revelation 22, read along or listen, up to you. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right, and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the word of life, come. I warn, everyone, oh sorry, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away words from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. End of the Bible. Um, so, the end of the beginning. In the words of Dan Stevens from one of his famous videos, which Adrian loves to show us, this is a true and better Eden, a true and better earth, a true and better heaven, a true and better life. In every way, um, this is not the end, but the end of the beginning. So, Genesis, way back at the start of the Bible, started with the words, in the beginning. And I once had a non-Christian mate say to me, why doesn't the end wrap up nicely with, and they all lived happily ever after, or something like that. And I said, because it's not a fairy tale. Everyone knows that never happens. Fairy tales only put it in there to make you feel good. This is not a fairy tale. This is true. 
So there's not, uh, they all lived happily ever after. Instead, you could say that this inspired word of God ends with a kind of cliffhanger. This is not the end, just the end of the beginning. History of mankind has been long and messy by human standards, but God is eternal and our entire history since creation is just the first chapter or the first book in the series, you might say. The rest has yet to be written. The glorious sequel that we will create with God in eternity as we join with him has yet to be written. And Revelation 22 sets the scene for that future. It's the end of the beginning and the beginning of the rest, which is fantastic. So last week, can I have next slide, please, Adrian? Ben showed us the new Jerusalem, the holy city. This thing is massive. It's described as a cube and the measurements are given to us so we can kind of extrapolate. And I just wanted to show you a couple of visuals to get the idea of the scale of this thing because that will help you to put in perspective some of the things I'm going to talk about later. So that is the foundation, if you like, the foundation area of the New Jerusalem overlaid over Australia. It's going to be pretty big. <laughs> now, don't forget, this thing is a cube. So it's as high as it is long and wide. Um, it's going to be visible from space. Indeed, it's going to be visible from about a third of the Earth because it'll go so high. It'll go up about 2,000 kilometers into the sky. So, next one. Yeah, cool. That uh, scale on the left, left, right, whatever it is, um, with the Earth and the Moon, is actually correct. It will nearly be as big as the Moon. So, the new heaven and the new Earth is going to be either renovated, expanded, made better able to handle things, or... It's going to be different. It's going to be governed by a different set of rules. Like, currently, we don't have anything that could build a city that big that wouldn't implode under its own weight. 2,000 kilometers high. And don't forget, if it's that big, it's going to have to curve around the Earth. The foundation is going to be impossible, according to the rules of this current Earth. The new heavens and new Earth is going to be different. It's going to be sustained and maintained by the God of heaven. And I do believe that there will be rules. There will be things that um, control everything, all the systems involved, just like this one, but they'll be perfect ones where anything is possible with God. So the reason I wanted to do that was just to get an idea of just how different this place is going to be to anything we're familiar with, all right? And how big it is. It's huge. And, spoiler alert, that's only one city. Who's to say that we won't be, oh, that's the prototype, let's go make our own put some different touches on it. So I think, Sam, you'll have a job. There'll be builders in the new heaven and new earth. So anyway, enough with some possibilities. No, never mind, I like possibilities. That's just the area the foundation will take up. This thing is a cube, it's gonna be huge. We're limited. Human buildings, human architecture, human capacity is limited. We can't conceive of eternity because we're finite. We can't conceive of a world that doesn't operate according to the rules that we experience, right? But anything's possible with God. So, the God who created the universe and holds it in the palm of his hand has no limits. He's not just going to build this thing on earth from the ground up. He's going to land it. It's coming down out of the clouds, out of heaven. That's how it's described. So it doesn't need any supports to stay complete. It doesn't implode on the way down. It literally lands, soft, lies a feather, perfect, everything done. That's a pretty powerful God. So just imagine living in this city. Imagine exploring it. At the moment, we explore in 3D. We walk around on the ground, we see things. Yeah, we can kind of look up, look across. But this thing goes up 2,000 kilometers. Imagine how many floors up your apartment might be, if that's the kind of living you like. <laughs> 
But falling won't be a problem because glorified bodies can't get hurt, which is awesome. Um, imagine the people, everybody here that's a follower of Jesus, glorified bodies, perfected people, doing what they love, using the talents God gave them. I expect when I'm laying beside the river doing nothing, enjoying a book about the history of mankind and earth, that I'll see Sam Jolly building a boat for Peter the Apostle because Peter wants to go fishing on the river of life. I expect to wander down to the markets and find Andrew and Barb there, not selling flowers and vegetables, but giving them away because that's what they do. Um, I expect that we will glorify God using what he's given us in this city. So enough with possibilities. Come back to the text from chapter 21. Flick back to chapter 21 just for a second. Starting at verse 22 of chapter 21. John has just seen the angel measure the city and he's noticed there is no temple in the city. A couple of things there. So chapter 21, a few things happen. First, he sees the city coming down, then it's measured and then he notices there's no temple in it. Now, starting in, in chapter 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Sorry, this is back in 22. Down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. Okay, so from chapter 21, verse 21, we know that the great street of the city is made of pure gold. It's described as being as transparent as glass. And the river is here described as running down the middle of this great street, and the river is as clear as crystal. The imagery is that everything is clear, everything is transparent, everything is pure, everything is perfect. And that goes for the whole city. All right? But why is this um, important? In a city around 2,000 kilometers wide, long, and high, you can fit a pretty big river. You can fit a pretty big street. Can I go back to the previous one, Adrian? There's a lot of rivers encompassed in that area. You could fit a pretty massive river running through the middle of that. You could fit a pretty massive street, the Great Street. It's one street that runs through the middle. So there's probably other streets, but the, the main one flows right out of the throne of God. The street and the river flows out of that. Now, some cool things going on here. The river flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. Who's missing from that description? The Holy Spirit. Where have we heard living water before? Jesus described to the woman at the well that if she came to him and drank of the water he would give her, she would never thirst again. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is that water himself, but it isn't. He says, the water I will give you. He wasn't going to give her himself. And elsewhere, in John, 7, chapter, John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, he literally says that he's referring to the Spirit. So look that one up later, John 7, 37 to 39. It's, he promises to give um, people living water, and it says that he said this of the Spirit. So this river, this river of life, is imbued with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the literal impersonation, I believe, of the power of God's Spirit, giving life to everything in this, um, in this city. Don't quote me on that. I'm not going to go you know, die for it and say that's my theology. I reckon the Spirit will be able to be known as a person as well. But I find it interesting that this, this river of life that flows out of the throne of God and of the Lamb doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit, but it is living water, which Jesus referred to as the Holy Spirit. So that's cool. Anyway, just something fun to notice. Um, the next thing to notice is the tree of life. Tree of life. Did you see that? Not trees. And yet it's growing on both sides of the river. <laughs> what? That's the next question. What do you think it means? <laughs> I checked the Greek. It's not plural. It was never meant to be. It's tree of life. Yeah, just picture a big tree with the roots going in most, most parts 
a great big tree with that sort of grows up from both sides and comes together in as one. Yep, with the roots. Under and through and cut out my cheeky. One big rootstock. Okay. Some people have been cheating or looking ahead. <laughs> next, next two pictures, please. That's from Tiff's home state of Colorado. Did I get it right? <laughs> I may have said that as Colorado in the past, and she's just gone. I don't think we, I don't think we can be friends anymore. Anyway, these are aspen trees. Colorado, Colorado <laughs> is famous for them. Now, not only are they beautiful, not only you know, will they grow and last for hundreds of years, a really interesting thing about them is that the vast majority of them grow from one root, one rootstock. It spreads out under the ground and all the little trees grow up from that, but it's all one root, which can last for thousands of years. So I could be completely wrong about this, but I imagine this tree of life is like this, one root growing beside the river of God, the river of life, spreading out, sprouting up all the way along. Change that path to a river and you have it. One tree growing all along the river. So I imagine not that the tree of life is an aspen, but that it grows somewhat similarly. I could be completely wrong, but that's how I visualize it. One tree growing along both sides of the river. Okay, now substitute the path with a river, enlarge it four or five times and visualize a golden street running down the outside of all of it and you have the great street of the heavenly Jerusalem. Path becomes river, trees, outside of that on both sides, golden street as clear as glass. At the end of it, throne of God and of the Lamb. Pretty cool stuff. Anyway, the tree of life here is the perfected version of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. This is Eden restored. This is earth perfected, the way it was always meant to be. Totally new earth, maybe. Totally renovated earth, maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to say either way for sure, for sure. But what I do know is this will be the most perfect version of what God created. And we'll be there. This tree of life, um, it bears fruit all year round. Can anybody think of a tree that bears fruit all year round? Andrew, does such a tree exist? Nor do I, and I don't think it's possible. But this tree does. It bears fruit all year round. Twelve crops, one for each month. So imagine, that means it's always flowering because there's always more fruit coming in. That means there's fruit always growing but not yet ripe. That means there's always fruit that's ripe and ready to be picked and eaten. So this tree is going to be pretty big, pretty healthy, and is constantly going to be fruiting. It's going to be a fairly nice place because free food, <laughs> for a starter, that's good for you. It's the tree of life after all. But it's also going to be constantly in bloom, constantly having fruit growing. It's going to be gorgeous, like those flowers that Adrian put up earlier, only with fruit as well and leaves. No seasons, no months. There's not even any day in this city, we find out in the same passage. No months of scarcity driving the fruit prices up. Always enough for everyone, which is pretty cool. So next thing to notice, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Hang on a tick. Last time, Ben read that every tear was going to be wiped away. There was going to be no more sickness, no more death, nothing like that in the New Jerusalem. So why do we need healing? Next question. Relationships, okay, but won't everyone there be kind of perfected and should be able to get along pretty well, even with me? Yep. <laughs> what else? Why will there be, why will the leaves of the tree be for the healing of the nations? 
No wrong answers. I just want to hear your opinions. Help with unity somehow? Maybe. I've got an idea. I'm not saying I'm right, but I want to hear your ideas. Ah, maybe it's symbolic. Maybe it's a testimony to what's really happened. We've been healed, and it's just saying that's what happened. Good. Anything else? No? Okay, cool. Right. Well, thanks for, um, thanks for engaging with me. One idea. What? Yeah, so the short version of what Andrew was saying is Eden was never got to its full potential. It never got to be the perfect version that God envisioned with man tilling it and looking after it. And so maybe what's going on here is that healing is that this, this is getting back to that where it can actually be the best version of what it was meant to be. Good. Thank you for interacting. I appreciate that. So my idea is that it is kind of both symbolic and literal. Um, symbolic in the sense of what Andrew was saying, that the healing of the nations has already taken place. Now there are only the healed, if you like, the people who've been released from sin and redeemed living in this city, in God's new creation. And so the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations represents that freedom, that equal access to the tree of life and the throne of God that everybody now has. So they've been healed. So it's symbolic in that way. Another idea I have, and this is where I think it's a bit more literal, the word healing here could also be rendered rest or restoration, like Adrian was saying. What did God do on the seventh day of creation? He rested. We all know that. He set up a pattern for us, our work week. Work, do something useful, rest. That was meant to be the pattern in the Garden of Eden. And in this new creation, this new city, we will have jobs. We will do roles. There'll be no, no, no day, no night, but I think this is simply a fulfillment of God's command given in the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. Imagine these, this tree of life along the river. I can't think of a better place to just lay down and rest. Just chilling there, watching everything going on. So, to sit under the tree of life beside the river and gaze at the throne of God. What better rest could one have? After you've done your work, your job, why not go chill for a bit? Have a bit of a free feed while you're there. I think this is a parallel from Eden. God wants us to rest. He wants us to be still and know that he's God. And I believe that healing, you won't be tired because your glorified body won't get tired, but you'll still want to stop sometimes and just gaze in awe around you. So, this is a parallel to Eden, and I think there's another one in verses 3 and 4. No longer will there be any curse, directly referencing the curse that came on us in Eden when Adam and Eve did the wrong thing. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Again, we'll be working making this new city, this new heaven, new earth, the best it can possibly be, joining God in his creative work, maintaining it. We will be working in heaven, but there'll be no curse. That means nothing will ever go wrong. Everything you try to do in your job will always work. No Murphy's Law. It will be replaced with Jesus' Law. And Jesus' Law says everything always happens right the first time. That's good. I'm looking forward to having a job where that's the reality. Um... So can you imagine having unlimited energy to do your job, which you were created to do, so you not only you know, work hard and, and you know, see fulfilment in it, but you love doing it. It's not just a job to pay the bills that you hate. It's a job that you love doing, and you can do it forever. The curse is broken at last, and mankind is free to be all they are created to be. There will be no more night. They'll not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
I'd love to take a flight into the imagination and talk about what we might be reigning over, but I'll run out of time. This is supposed to be a short service, and that would be pure speculation. But I will say I can't wait for this new heaven, new earth, this holy city. And I imagine that at this point, John couldn't wait either. He's here seeing all this. The angel showed it all to him. But the vision begins to fade. He focuses back on the angel, and the angel affirms, what you've heard is trustworthy and true. This is a trustworthy saying. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy written in this scroll. And this is where with John, we've come full circle through Revelation. We started in Revelation 1 verse 3 with keep the words of this prophecy. And here at the end, it's reiterated by this angel. Look, I am coming soon, speaking on behalf of Jesus. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Full circle. Jesus affirms it. Revelation, do these words. Blessed is the one who keeps, does, acts on the words of this prophecy. And John is flabbergasted, he's awed, he's amazed, and once again, he makes the same silly mistake he's done two or three times throughout Revelation. He tries to worship the angel. Tries to fall down and worship the angel. He's, done, he's made that mistake before. He nearly worshipped a woman Babylon. He tried to worship an angel before, and only once did he truly recognise King Jesus at the very start of Revelation. But in his flawed human body, he is completely awed by everything he's been showing, and he falls down and tries to worship this angel. And the angel gets real cranky with him. Don't do that! I'm a fellow servant with you. Don't worship me, worship God. I think there's something in that for us too. It's very easy to worship created beings or created things or even idols that we've set up for ourselves. Don't ever worship any person. It doesn't matter if they're your mentor or your father or your best friend or your wife or your husband or whatever else. From Bill Bright to Billy Graham to Donald Trump to Vladimir Putin, they're not worthy of worship. No human ever has been. Like this angel says, worship God. He insists. I'm not worthy of that. I'm just like you, a created being. There is only one who is worthy of worship. Then we move on, and the angel instructs John not to seal up the scroll. Leave it open. The time is near. Let people read it. Send it to the churches. Let the scroll of Revelation be copied and passed on, become part of the Christian Bible, and eventually work its way down to a little church in Australia called Willowburn. And everywhere else that the body of Christ gathers. For the time is near. This is the urgency of Revelation. The time is near. 2,000 years later, since this was written down, we're still waiting. And God says, the time is near. It is near. It's nearer now than it's ever been before. And to an eternal God, the word soon means something a bit different to us. When I hear soon, I immediately think, oh, what's the context? Are we talking seconds, minutes, hours, weeks, months, years? How soon are we talking? Um, God's outside all that. He's not limited by seconds, hours, weeks, months, years. He's outside time, so to him, our future is as present as our present is to us. He inhabits eternity. Time has no hold on him. So to him, the soon, coming soon, has already happened, is already happening. He's there everywhere all the time. I know that's hard to conceive, but it's reality for God. And that's what eternity for us will be like too. We won't be limited by time. God can see it all, he knows it all, but the angel says the time is near because he wants to convey a message to John. He says, behold, I'm coming soon, the time is near, don't seal up the words, send them out, because he wants to convey a sense of urgency. He wants us to do something about this, not just read it and go, oh, that's cool, Jesus said he's coming soon, sweet. He wanted to convey a sense of urgency, that people would live as if they are citizens of heaven, right now, then, 2,000 years ago, right down to now. Okay, nearly finished. 12, verse 12. 
The warning and the promise. Look, I'm coming soon. This is King Jesus himself. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I'll give to each person according to what they've done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Just letting John know, I'm God, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will reward people according to what they've done. That's why the urgency is there. I'm coming soon and I'll judge, I'll reward. Blessed are those who wash their robes, they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, sent my angel to you to give you this testimony for the churches, for us. The churches then, the churches now, all the churches of all time. This was given directly to us. Some have called it Revelation, um, Jesus' last love letter. I think it's not a very good love letter if there's constant warnings in it as well. It's, yes, it's loving, but it's also... It's very urgent that we do things that God would have us do and not get distracted. So the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll, God will take away from that person any share in the aspen of life. He who testifies to these things says, I'm coming soon. This is straight talk from King Jesus. There's no beating around the bush. I'm coming soon. I will reward people according to what they've done. If anyone doesn't, um, if anyone takes away or adds to this, something bad's going to happen to them. But anyone may come. Be faithful. Be ready. Live as a citizen of heaven. And I will welcome you to the throne and to the living water. That's what he's saying. Outside is everyone who is ever evil, who ever rejected me. If they didn't turn to me, they won't be inside the city. They won't be inside the new heaven and the new earth. They will be outside of anything good, outside of access to God, outside of anything that God has ordained for those who love him. So Jesus gives this final warning to anyone who hears the words of prophecy, this scroll of revelation. That includes us here at Willowburn. Anybody who ever heard the words of revelation has a responsibility. If anyone adds anything to this words, this prophecy, God will add to them the plagues we've had described. That's why we don't want to overinterpret. We don't want to add to something to say it specifically means this. An example would be to say that Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Overinterpretation, adding to the words. Get yourself a plague. Won't be fun. And we also don't want to underinterpret. We don't want to say, oh, that's not important. Don't worry. Jesus didn't really mean that. It's, all, it's going to save everyone in the end. It's fine. He's not. He's going to judge people according to their works. So don't make the mistake of thinking that Revelation doesn't apply to you, that it's not relevant. It's possibly the most relevant and poignant book in the whole Bible for us because it is our reality. It is coming true and it's already started coming true. So don't make the mistake of thinking it's not important or it's irrelevant or it's just a bunch of fantasy. There is something here for all of us to apply. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. So live now in the reality that is coming to be. If you, if you have accepted King Jesus and what he's done for you at the cross, put your faith in him to free you from your sins, that so you are a citizen of heaven. Please, live that way. Your king's coming back and this glorious city will be your home forever. But if you've not accepted Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life, change that now. King Jesus is coming back. And you can welcome him with open arms and walk freely into this wonderful city, or you can be hurled away forever. It's 
your choice. He says that pretty clearly. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. It's your choice. Make it soon, for he is coming soon. I want to finally finish, not from the last um, chapter of the Bible, but going back to Isaiah, Isaiah 57, if you want to follow me. I just want to read this at the end. I think it really encapsulates who God is and what he's offering. Isaiah 57, starting at verse 15 and all the way down to 19. Isaiah 57, 15 to 19. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry. For then they will faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed and I punished them. I hid my face in anger, yet they kept on their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Promise was to Israel, and it also applies to us. Anyone who puts their faith in Christ Jesus will be healed, can walk freely into the holy city, take part in the fruit of the tree of life, and worship before the throne of God forever by doing what he made you to do. The unique gifts and abilities of your personality and your character aren't a mistake. God made you for a specific role in his heaven and earth. He wants you to start on it now and do it forever in the future. That's all. God bless you. Amen.